Welcome to Talking Business and Life with Claudio Relsano and Steve Mancini. Claudio and Steve will share their business and life experience to help you grow your business and improve your life. Here's Claudio and Steve. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to Talking Business and Life with Claudio Relsano and Steve Mancini. I am Claudio Relsano. And I am Steve Mancini. I was lucky enough, Steve, you asked me how I met this next young lady. I was uh, fortunate enough to be a guest on her show, The Imperfect. Imperfect. There we go. I'm imperfect. <laughs> imperfect. The Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. She's an author, again, podcast host. She's an executive and life coach. She's a wonderful uh, person who has a lot of impact on people and doing great things. Deb Crow. Deb, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here with you both. All right. Well, you know what? I like to start off first, um, kind of at the beginning. Tell us about the 17-year-old Deb Crow. Where was she from, and what were her goals and dreams? So the 17-year-old Deb Crow was a senior in high school. She had previously moved to the city from a small rural community at 14. So I went from a high school of about... 287 kids to 2,200. It was like shell shock. Yeah. And and my goal at 17 to be completely transparent and vulnerable with you was just to get through high school because my dad was dying. And my mom was also sick. So I didn't really have any career aspirations. I literally was living in the moment and just hoping I was going to graduate from high school. And, and how did those illnesses, events that, that, that happened. How did that affect you? So I lost my dad at 21. I was in my second year of post-secondary education and it really, really honed my emotional intelligence, but it absolutely helped me realize that I grew up as an adult in that moment and my emotional resilience was born that day. I I had no parental guidance. I was in that fight or flight, sink or swim, how are you going to support yourself kind of mode. And I felt like I was 21 going on 30, like mm. literally in that moment. You know, when you say that, it reminds me of my dad. My dad was 18 years old when his mom passed, and his goal was to go to, there was a local college here that wanted him to play football. But, again, his mom passed, and he had two little brothers. And long story short, he went from age 18 to 41 real quick in a hurry and he had to take care of those two kids and and you know it but that shaped him and that made him who he was later but what, what happened to you and your your family at that time how did that um how do you use that in your business world when you're when you're speaking to as an executive slash life coach it's funny because i can remember back to like age two three but the pivotal moment for me was, I think, when I was about eight, so grade two, and I had the most wonderful Irish Nana. It was my dad's mom, mm. and she taught me something that just fundamentally I even carry to this day at 57, and she said, you have a bright light, and not everyone will like your brightness. They'll try to dim your brightness, but you can always control you. And obviously, she probably used some different verbiage on an eight-year-old. But I always remembered and just held on to the fact that I was going to have a good life. 
I was going to, you know, hopefully be a wife and a mom someday. And when I got there, I was going to be the mom that I always wanted to have because my mom was very ill. And I just held on to that hopes and dreams. And, and, you know, I didn't let it go to some catastrophic level of thinking. I just kept working towards being a good person and eventually was able to go back to university once I was married and my children were small. So I just took a different path to get to where I I wanted to be. And I wanted to be an occupational therapist, but I landed up doing my undergrad in disability management and I specialized in neurotrauma. So I got there a little bit later. I went down another road and a couple detours and a couple U-turns, but I eventually got to work with the population that I wanted to work with. Real quick, um, I I interrupted Steve because he was gonna ask you a question. You said catastrophic thinking. Explain that, please. That's where, like, we have all these dreams, like, you know, dreams and aspirations, and and you've got all these great notes scribbled on papers or documents, you know, in Microsoft Word, Mm -hmm. but they're just that. It's kind of like having books on the shelf. They're shelf help until you actually read the book and put it in action. So I really had to control my thoughts by by developing good habits of thinking and having discipline and structure, owning my own company at 24. And if I was going to have a paycheck, I couldn't dream about what I wanted. I had to put it in action to achieve it or I wouldn't be eating or paying my rent or paying my car payment. So I, again, I learned it really, really quick and at 24 and I've never shied away from being uh, someone who works really, really hard and has clear actionable goals. Deb, again, this is Steve. I want to thank you for uh, being on the show. And uh, I kind of want to jump into something because we had a, I think it was our last episode, and we talked about that a lot of people, you know, it's almost always, and I I hate to say it like this, it's always some kind of catastrophic event that causes people to either self-reflect or to grow up. And you don't, you don't wish that on people, but you know, you're, you're kind of in the business of advising people. and, And I don't want to say helping them grow up, realize their dreams, et cetera. You know, how, you know, how do you deal with folks? Again, I don't, I don't want to say everybody should have something bad happen to them because I, because I don't like that, but there are a lot of people that the life is pretty soft. And I don't say necessarily in a negative way that they don't have that thing that opens their eyes. You had that thing that opened your eyes, whether you liked it or not at a young age. And the silver lining was, but it was also a bad thing is that you had to grow up. So you kind of lost whatever was left of your youth, and now you had to become an adult. How do you, you know, talk to others that haven't had that event and kind of say, well, you don't want to, you know, there's a point where you have to kind of put away the childish things and grow up. But, uh, you know, in the meantime, what, what is it you tell them to make them grow up, excluding something having to happen to them? I think it comes back to the advice my grandma gave me is we all have the ability to control how we respond how we process in our own mind to respond and then what we choose to do next is always in our power and I would rather get up and try and not live in a world of I would have I could have I should have I would rather fail and try and fail forward and try again than to never try at all and I think people get really wrapped up in perfectionism and you know, I always say the best diet to be on is to lose the weight of other people's opinions. Mm-hmm. If we didn't, like if that. we didn't, I'm gonna if steal we didn't that one. weigh in on, you know, if we didn't weigh in and, and worry about what everybody else thinks, we'd all be in such different places. But 
I had to lose that fear of what other people were going to think because it was a survival instinct and strategy and tactic for me. And so when I'm talking to folks who are in that space, I always tell them that there's room to pause, there's room to reflect, and it doesn't matter what their first step is as long as they take it. There's no right or wrong, but we have to move at least one millimeter forward. But again, you're, you're in a good way, you're implying that people are doing self-reflection. And I guess that's the point, is that a lot of people, especially in this day and age, I mean, just look around you. I mean, we're, there, there's zombies all over the street that just have no idea that, you know, they're, they're oblivious to who they are and what they're doing and the, and the damage or whatever you know, that they're causing. There's no self-reflection. I mean, how, I guess that's the thing is if someone's coming to talk to you, they're doing some self-reflection. But, I mean, what do you do when people say, oh, I mean, my life's a mess. Well, what do you think about this? Well, I never thought about that. How, how, do you, you know, how do you kind of proceed when people aren't doing that self-reflection? Well, a lot of executives are sent to me for coaching by their companies, but they don't necessarily want the coaching. <laughs> so that, that's, that's a prime example. And, and when I'm able to develop trust and rapport and ask the right questions, people's life journey shows up because life shows up in our work and work shows up in our life. But I think you have to be mindful. I think you have to be an attentive listener. And again, not to sound cliche, but when you ask the right questions within a circle of trust, people will open up. And a lot of times it's just the fear to acknowledge and talk about it. And I think, you know, my definition of heart-centered leadership is honoring your connection with people. And this is a great example. Just holding space for that person in all that we can, not thinking about, you know, what am I doing later this evening? Do I have tomorrow plans? Well, we're not paying attention to someone in a nonverbal way. They pick up on it. They pick up on our energy. They can tell from our body language. But when you honor someone and have space and really listen, again, you can really form that circle of trust. And if people feel safe, they're going to share with you why they landed up in that space. And it's painful and it's hard to talk about. It's not impossible, but you can't rush trust and rapport. It has to be kind of unveiled and connected at the right time with an, with the right person, literally right time, right moment kind of thing. Role models have been such an important part of my life and for me to get from point A to point B. Who were some of your role models, people that have inspired you? In my family, definitely my Nana. Um, her, my, her mother, my great-grandma, my great-nana. My Nana had polio in her leg as a young girl in England, and her brother had diphtheria. And I think I get my resilience from my great Nana because they were going to amputate my Nana's leg. Mm. And my, her mother was like, there's no way. And then at that time, diphtheria was so bad in England that my Nana's brother actually passed away and no one would come to the home to help my great Nana. Mm. And she actually had to bury her son in her backyard she packed up their belongings. She had lost her husband in the war, and they literally sailed across the Atlantic to Toronto, Canada, because she knew the doctors here would save my Nana's leg. So those two women for sure. But the biggest person who's really inspired me, and I would have loved to have met him, is Nelson Mandela. 
Um, I, I have read a lot of his teachings, and he would have been someone that I would have loved to have, you know, broken bread with and had dinner. And that man has mastered the art and honed the art of equanimity, which is something that I work on every single day in my personal life and my professional life. And after everything he endured and how he behaved when he was let out of prison, I just find that so humbling and so inspiring. Let's let's talk about, you know, life and leadership. At some point in your in your life, you know, you obviously these things that you're describing impacted the way the people that raised you and worked with you their their personalities were defined by these things. And then you talked about some of the, the things that have happened to you, like your father dying at any you know relatively young age, you know, your mother being sick, you know, a lot of challenges. At some point, though, there is a transition where you think, not only can I do well for myself, I can help others. And I'm, I'm assuming that a lot of the help that you're able to do is as a result of your experience. When did that light come on for you where you said, you know what, I, I, can, I can actually take all of these things that I've learned and start working with others? You know, that light came on from a story. So I had been a neurotrauma case manager for 23 years. And the last couple of years, all I was doing was testifying in court to convince a jury that, you know, one of my patients, adult or child, had a catastrophic brain injury or spinal cord injury or sometimes both. And I remember sitting, having dinner with my husband, and I said, I don't think I can do this anymore because I'm missing the direct patient care, and I'm going to go into court. And then in the same week, I got a phone call from a life insurance company, and the adjudicator said to me, I have five executives, three VPs, and two CEOs off on stress claims, short-term disability. I heard you're great at getting people back to work, and I thought, oh, won't this be a breath of fresh air? From the day of that phone call to 10 months later, not only did I have all of those executives, all of their claims went to long-term. They all became palliative. They all ended up in the local hospice that I volunteered at. So that was like a big tap on the shoulder from the universe going, what are you going to do with this? I lost them all to cancer. I talk about them every day. And my coach said to me at the time, what are you going to do with this gift? And I, I was so dumbfounded by his question. I said, well, right now I'm just trying to wrap my head around this grief and the similar conversations that I had with these executives. And that's how I fell into this space of leadership and working with executives at all different levels. And I haven't lost anybody since I transitioned, but I never, ever saw myself leaving the medical rehab world and landing in this space, to be perfectly honest with you. Question uh, that I've never asked anybody before. When you're down as a coach or as a sports coach or as an executive life, life coach, you're going to have your tough days. But how do you lift others when you are down? When, well, I'm also a yoga teacher. So when I'm feeling a little down, I turn inward. I usually hit my yoga mat. I usually kind of recalibrate my own mindset through meditation. I hit the gym. I know that that's a chance that I need to fill my cup up before I'm able to help others. So 
self-care is my number one kind of strategy and tool to make sure my mindset's where it's going to be. And I would never coach anybody if I wasn't in the right mindset. And I have canceled when I've had things happen in my life. And I've been very, you know, transparent and honest with my clients. And they get it because life happens. But I always turn inward. The answer's always there. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to ask something kind of similar. But what, yeah, what, who brings you up when you're down? I mean, you're kind of saying you're, you look inward. But at some point, you can only look in so long. And you're like, all right, maybe I need, maybe I need a helping hand. Where do you go at that point? I have been blessed with the best husband on the planet. I just celebrated my 30-year anniversary with him. And he's an entrepreneur. And he is just, my Irish nan, I used to call him salt of the earth. He's he's the guy. He's my go-to guy. And, you know, he's also an entrepreneur. So he gets the mindset. And, and we lift each other up. And we made the promise that neither of us can go down on the same day. And... We have great kids. I have adult kids now. I have two girls, and I'm also a grandma. And, you know, I, I I show my kids when I'm down because I don't want them to think that life is rainbows and unicorns. Like, it's real life 101, and it's okay to be down and validate each other. And every time you get down, you, you take the time you need, and then you get back up. Now, the next time you get asked that question, you're going to say, Claudio Rosano, because I read his book. <laughs> you, I haven't you should, bought it yet. Uh, it'll it'll be there. It'll be there tomorrow, hopefully. Tomorrow, Wednesday. But um, you got it. You got it. Uh, uh, well, you know what? We're going to talk about your book. And I I said this to Deb the other day. The problem with her book is, for me, you read it and you want to go to the next page. You want to go to the next page. And it's a great book. It really is. And and I'm not just Thank saying you. that. And some of the things you know she has here: leadership in the wake of tragedy. Um, she has quotes. She has uh, things that I say. You know, she talks about models and self-care, servant leadership, all kind of things. Another thing about being approachable, which is how I start my book, Deb. You'll, you'll, when you get it, there's a story in there about being approachable. Uh, it, it's a great book that I'll say, I don't think you wrote it with your fingertips. You, you wrote it with your heart. So talk a little bit about why you wrote this book and, and how it, it came to be. You know, this book, thank you very much for your kind words. Sure. This book has been sitting in my heart for 30 years. And I remember saying to my husband when we first got married, you know, I'm going to write a book someday. I don't know when, but I, but I know when the time is right, I'll do it. And it's like when I used to write my medical reports for my clients, my typist would say, is the report ready? I really leaned into my intuition if I needed to say a bit more or felt I wasn't conveying or painting the picture of this patient or their rehab journey. And I just started my book 18 months ago. And I just, I had a lot in, you know, notebooks and old journals. And then when Microsoft Word came onto the marketplace and I finally put everything into one folder onto Google Drive, and I was so dumbfounded at how much information I had written. My book was there. So I just basically had to work through everything, organize everything, uh, set up the chapter structure. And to be really honest, I'm still in awe that my book is done. It's a very cathartic experience, yeah. which I know you know. And it's probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, but I'm just 
I feel proud that I've released something into the world that I hope heal this world. And I think if we, we keep doing the work that we're doing, I think it will have a ripple effect and really help a lot of people. And it was, like I said, one of the hardest things, but it's also one of the most joyous things. And I just enjoyed the joy of the process, even though, you know, self-doubt and all those other things crept in. It, I went back to that catastrophic thinking that we talked about, and I was like, move, move the book ahead one millimeter today. That's all you got to do. And I just didn't put too much expectation, and I just really leaned into enjoying it, and I, I didn't have pressure when I had to get it done. And I think when you're doing a labor of love and a project from your heart, I think it's best to have actionable goals, but don't push yourself to unrealistic expectations, which I didn't do. And I think that's how I got it done. And you can get that book at www.debcrowe.com. I definitely uh, say to get it. Now, um, talk about the podcast that I was fortunate enough to be on. How did that come about and how is that coming? I know you have a ton of episodes. So we're on season four, and I'm absolutely loving it. I've interviewed over 250 leaders, and it started eight weeks into COVID when all my C-suites were asking me what they need to tell their people. And I kept hearing imperfection, authenticity, vulnerability, and I was like, I need to talk about this. And that is honestly how my podcast was born. Deb, I'm going to switch gears on you. All right, because you're, you're going to ask her what kind of guest that was. No, yeah. we'll get we're going to get to that <laughs> offline because Shelly, she'll be she'll give me more honest answer. Deb, I'm going to switch gears. You're in London, Ontario, correct? Correct. All right, this is a very honest question here. Um, do you follow the London Knights? Because I used to play hockey tournaments. I, I, <laughs> I played a few hockey tournaments up in London, and I want to go on record as saying I loved London, Ontario. We were young young folks and we were above the drinking age and uh, i'm not saying that's all there is in london but it was a very pretty little town and um, i just remember going into this you know it's a, it's a major junior team but i remember going into this shop where they were selling their gear and i'm like this is a professional team i mean it was just it, it, they had more gear for the london knights than i thought than probably the maple leafs in there so how are they doing this year because i'm not following juniors right now well i don't have season tickets but i will tell you that they, they sell out. There's a waiting list to get season's tickets. And they are the pride and joy uh, sports team of London, Ontario. Our arena that holds it, I think it holds 10,000 people. And if you're lucky to get a ticket or be invited to a suite, it, it's something that you have to see if you've never gone. But the love of the sport for our province, Ontario hockey as a whole the London Knights are a big, big fan favorite. And like I said, if you're lucky enough to get tickets to go to Budweiser Garden, capitalize on it. But I can't tell you as of right now how they're doing because I haven't gone to a game yet. Oh, no. You know what's funny? Because um, I used to follow major juniors a lot. And, uh, you know, you think how many guys came out of that program. We're not going to get into an NHL conversation. But what's amazing, what always amazes me is these are 16 to 20-year-old kids. You know, I have a few 21-year-olds on the team. And they will literally, some cases, go up to the pros for a couple of games and go back down to major juniors just to show you the quality of the hockey that's there. So uh, I'm jealous. I want to go up there and watch well, some roller challenge. And I, I just checked for you while we're online here. And 
for we're in the Central Division and they're number one right now. I'm not surprised. That's a, that's that's a powerhouse team. They've always they they've have so much talent has come out of that team. That they just do a phenomenal job. I mean, my hats off to that organization. Now, Deb, when you do a podcast, when you ask questions, are all the questions are they your questions that you want to know personally, or something you think your audience wants to know? So I do half and half. So I do four leadership questions based on the form that we have our uh, potential guests fill out. And my goal is always to hone in to their heart-centered leadership and what they bring to their role, which is why we love to interview people from all different sectors all over the globe, because I don't think the sector's important because we're really all in the people business. And I like to have a lot of fun and inject a lot of humor and candor, which Claudio knows. <laughs> and then the fab four is to bring out the personal side of my guests. And I just ask like four fun questions that we don't ask you to think about. We just want to know like what what's sitting on top of mind and kind of what's the answer right away or what's the first thing you're thinking of. And I'm always surprised at the diversity of the answers and they're always fun to ask. And we change them up every season. How have you improved as a leader? I try and be a little bit better every day. I don't get complacent. <clears throat> I, I'm really committed to reading every day. And I think the biggest thing that I try and work on is being assertive and maintaining my heart-centered leadership qualities. Because I think we all have transformational leadership qualities inside of us. But I never want to say that I'm the best leader I can be because I, I think there's room for improvement every day. And if you look at the world and technology, we're always learning and adapting. So I never want to be stagnant or complacent. I love to learn. I love to take courses. I love to read. And I just always want to be a little bit better than Deb Crow was yesterday. You know, Deb, it's funny you say that because I think that is the death knell for people that they say, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm content and I'm like we all have that right to say that and that right to be that and if that's where you want to be in life that's where you can be in life I have a friend of mine he's 95 years old and he says every day I wake up and I still try and learn something new and uh, I, I, I think that I think you'd probably agree that every day you wake up there's got to be something in your life that you can learn to make you just a little bit better would you agree with that Absolutely. And, and, you know, a great example is I got diagnosed a year ago with arthritis in my knees and I'm very impatient. And I remember saying to the sports med doc, I'm like, can I still go to the gym? He goes, that's exactly what I want you to do. And he said, you got to work through the pain and working through the mindset of, you know, I'm living with pain on every given day, two to three out of 10. And the more I move, it gets better. And I mean, there's other factors of weather or whatever, but I don't have to sit and do nothing because that's the worst thing. And I have other friends that have arthritis and they're like, how do you do that? And how do you move past it? You just do it. Well, I, I just... I, the, amen. I mean, you know what? It's funny because I do know people like that. Like, well, it hurts. Well, <laughs> there's a difference between pain and injury. And arthritis is a good yeah. example of you have to work. You have to work through through arthritis. You cannot be mobile. And there are so many people that think, well, it hurts, so I don't want to do no more. Like, they have this mindset. And it's not even about physical. It's about anything. Well, that hurts. So I'm, I'm uncomfortable with that. So I don't want to do that anymore. It's like, but you, you 
cannot get past that barrier if you do not push on that barrier. And I think I'm glad you the worst thing God, you know, God willing is arthritis in your knees because I've got it all over. And I'm like, screw it. I'm going to run. I'm going to keep doing stuff because you know what? I see what happens. And and, and I'll say one thing. And, and again, I'll get your thought on this. You know, I, I've gone to a lot of senior homes and you see a lot of people there and this kind of relates to what you do you know you want people to be better in their lives and you try and tell them and i hate to say it like this before it's too late because reality is at some point in our life it will be too late you will not have that opportunity so you try and help them whether they're young middle-aged even older but i go to these homes and i see people there and they're just miserable they're alone they can't move and i'm going most of these, and I am not being judgmental, but, I'm, but I think it's fair to say that in life, most people are in a position because it's the result of the choices you made. You don't have to end up like that, barring, in a, you know, physically speaking, barring, you know, some, some genetic thing where, you know, you get Alzheimer's, nothing you can do about it. But I'm putting that kind of stuff away. But just in life, whether it's, a, whether it's your mood, whether it's your physical being, whether it's, you know, where you end up, it's all the result of your choices in, a, in most cases. And I think it's hard for me, and I don't know if this is insensitive. Again, I'm curious on your thought. But I don't know if it's insensitive to say, I look at people and I say, you know what, I feel bad for you but I don't feel bad for you because, you know, I, I find it hard to believe that most people aren't being warned at some point in your life. Hey, you need to, you need to not do that or else. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? You know, it, it takes me back to my Nana. I really, really try hard not to have judgment. And I'll give you a good example. We have a big problem in our city right now with homeless people. And I, I go in my mind that, they didn't come into this world with this with this hand. I'm not going to judge that they're there. I never give them money. Right. And But I have a conversation, and I ask their name. I ask if they'd like a coffee or a sandwich. I won't even buy them junk food. Like, it's, it's, it's right up there with my, my mothering, you know? Right. And every time I give someone a meal... I always ask them to look me in the eye and tell me their name because I think that they deserve to be seen and heard and validated. And I don't think it's my place. And this is my own view to judge them. And I'm blessed enough to not be in either that social economic or psychosocial status. I've seen a lot of that as a neurotrauma case manager. And sometimes bad things happen to good people. And I want to be one of the good people that at least if I can do a little bit, then I know I'm being heart-centered in my life. And if I'm lucky enough, which I am, to buy someone a meal, again, sometimes I think we get tests from up above, whatever that may mean to you. But every person I help, and it's usually at least one or two people a week, that person looks me in the eye and says, hi, my name is John thank you so much, or I hand them a pair of mittens, whatever it is. I just think that's our human right to help others in a time of need and not have perception or judgment. And I realize not everybody can do it, but I think I've mastered that. And again, I'm going to give that kudos back to my Nana because, you know, we all have different things that happen in our life. And I think if we can just treat each other with love and respect instead of judgment and perception, I think this world would look a lot different. Uh, and, I, and I wholeheartedly agree with you. In fact, you, you, you said something 
you know, the rain, again, go back to the good book, the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. So bad things happen to all of us. Even good people have bad things happen to them. Bad people have good things happen to them. And we, we say it isn't fair, but I think it's how we deal with that moment in our life. I'm with you, by the way. I won't give money to homeless because it's not really helping them. To your point, I'd rather, if there's a way to help you, again, reevaluate, say, okay, is there a way for me to not be homeless? I, I, I think I'd rather help you get there versus just giving you a couple bucks and you go do whatever that's not going to help you change your situation. And I think that's kind of where you're going. You're almost giving a little bit of a, um, hey, you're still a somebody, you know, and just because you're in this bad situation doesn't mean you're any less valuable than me. So I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And uh, again, I also agree that there, and there, but there's a fine a line, I think, between judgment and um, what I'll say is sympathy. And I will just confide in you that, you know, obviously everybody listening, that, you know, I do, I would say that I'm sympathetic. I'm more sympathetic when it's outside of people's control versus decisions we make because to your point i think you said it and i think it's i 100 percent believe this that bad things are going to happen to everyone but not everyone has to let that control who they are and that's the whole okay you know how are you how are you brought up you know what do you know what how can you do things how can you do things different to be introspective and make sure you don't walk keep walking down a path that's going to lead me somewhere where i don't want to be and, and and that's kind of where i asked you in the beginning was what do you do when folks aren't introspective and say, boy, I kind of don't like where I'm at. How do I get out of this situation? And, you know, so we're going to give you the final thought before kind of Claudio closes us out. You know, I, I agree with you, but I, I would change the word and the behavior. I don't give them sympathy. I just meet them where they're at with empathy. Right. And that's what, that's one of my main heart centered leadership traits. And Again, I, it's given space to people. It just anchors me back to how I decided to define heart-centered leadership, and I will always honor my connection with people, whether it's an executive or a homeless person, they're always going to get the same Deb Crow. Deb, I can't thank you enough for allowing me to be on your show and for you to take time and be on our show. Uh, I, I think you're great at what you do, and I love the book so far, and I know I'm going to love it even more when I finish it. And um, just appreciate you and everything that you've said today and, and just how you are and, and looking forward to what you're going to do next to impact people. So thank you, and we wish you all the best. Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been really great. All right. Again, go to www.debcrowe.com and get her book and, and just uh, watch her, her podcast, Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast on YouTube. Great person, great content, and uh, you'll get something out of it for sure. Deb, thanks again. Thank you. Kevin, I hope you uh, all enjoyed that as much as we did. I told you she'd be oh, good. <laughs> and you're still on, so that's good. That's good. We're gonna keep. We're not gonna edit that. No, we're, we're gonna keep that in. No, that's fantastic. That's and good. It was. It was fun, Deb. And again, yeah. I, I appreciate. I appreciate the fact that I can ask you honest questions and get honest answers. You know, really quickly. Actually, we're not done yet. Because I'm gonna make one. I'm gonna make one kind of minor comment. You know, um, Claudia will tell you this, and, and I'll tell you this about Claudia. We actually do not script for the most part our questions. It's kind of like. We, we kind of learned something about the guest and said, what do I want to ask them? And we just shoot from the gut, from the heart. And so that's why I think your book and your style is resonating so well with us. So, again, appreciate that. Well, I'm, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. There's a chapter in my book called Intuition Management that you're going to like very much that aligns with what you just said. <laughs> All right. I like that. Let me know what you think of my book when you get it, too. 
Deb. I absolutely will, and thank you for sending it to me, and thanks so much for having me on your show. All thanks, right. Deb. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. All right. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Well, now we appreciate we, her we, being on the show. Yeah. And uh, again, Dave, when you when, you're, when you go to listen to this, we'll give you one more thank you again. And Claudio, yeah. any final thoughts before we uh, head no, out? I, again, impact. She's right. impacting people, and it's not fake. Right. That's something that you you know right away when somebody's fake. Be it uh, a, a coach or a clergy men or right. something like that and I, I just can't she's had that. a hard path and that's yeah. kind of like where that's kind of where sincerity right. comes from right. I, and I, sure. I hate to say it that it, it does do people have to walk a hard path and I, I kind of think you do it doesn't have to be a death in the family but my, it gotta my be, dad somebody you gotta said, have some adversity they told my dad oh, his name was Olinda Olinda you've been through hell but that's why you're such a good guy and such a smart guy he said then I wish I was a rotten person and stupid <laughs> <laughs> but anyway on that note we appreciate all of you tuning in keep listening to this great show that Steve and I are very passionate about and don't forget about our other show Italian Impact on ItalianImpactWeekly.com but tell people about this show Talking Business and Life with Claudio Rosano and Steve Mancini Joe Hale we thank you and as we thank the listeners and as always thank you mom and pop talk to you guys soon Thank you for listening to Talking Business and Life with Claudio Relsano and Steve Mancini. Tune in next week for more impactful business and life experiences with Claudio and Steve.